In this Theology Pit, we sit down with Pastor David Howells from Church of the Living Christ in Bridgewater, Pennsylvania. His church is right down the street from Bridgewater Presbyterian Church, where I pastor, and we are talking Pentecostalism. We are starting our series on denominations. You fall into the Theology Pit. Theology You fall in the Theology Pit. Here with Pastor Dave Howell from uh, the what, what is the name of your church? The official name of your church? Church of the Living Christ. Church of the Living Christ. So you guys believe in the resurrection then? Oh, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> 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 Got to break the ice. Got to break the tension yeah, there just right. a little bit. So we're doing this series um, on denominations, and thank you very much. Um, all the information that you give about your church uh, will be in the show notes for people to look up so they can just go and they'll take you to your website and your Twitch channel and they can actually see what you do live, uh, you know, while while you're doing it. And, uh, you know, if, if they're stuck at home with COVID and they need a good church to go to, they're going to have yours. Awesome. So, um, awesome. yeah, so we're, we're just asking now you would um, consider yourself Pentecostal. Uh, that is our main belief, but we also... Um, Attain to a full gospel, which coordinates with Pentecost. Okay, well, we'll get into that. We'll look at those differences and and yeah, and, and what that means in a little bit here. So, what I want to do is I'm going to turn it over to you. Uh, just tell us about the history of your church and the history of Pentecostalism or full gospelism or whatever. Yeah, no, it's Pentecostal. Okay. Yeah, um, and you can um, if, if whichever one you want to start with or how you want to do it. Okay, and just, just kind of form and uh, all right. Give well, us some I was there. just going to kind of lay out five uh, basic beliefs that are set that sets Pentecostal. Uh, parishioners apart from, say, Protestant Christians. We're all Christians, right? But Pentecostals believe in a, uh, we believe in a miraculous healing, the possibility of the power of prayer changing your situation, um, taking your disease. Not that the prayer does it, but the God of the prayer does it. And so uh, we believe that and the power of the Holy Spirit is involved in that. So the Holy Spirit is very important in Pentecostal, the Pentecostal belief system. So there's a charismatic aspect to um, Pentecostalism. To a degree. Okay. The excesses, maybe not. Okay. 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 All, right. All right. Okay. So okay. we believe there, the uh, faith in God. Is important, and obviously Martin Luther taught us that. You know, we're saved by grace, through grace, by faith, and so that's the important part of our our uh, situation. And um, that God can, if He chooses, heal diseases and heal sicknesses. And you know, that's one of the things that kind of sets the Pentecostal apart. But at the same time, I believe in the sovereignty of God. And I have that written down here. God <laughs> is sovereign and God can choose to do whatever he chooses to do. So I write my my statement is this, I thrust my trust into the sovereignty of God. Okay. I've made that my statement. Um, I think it gets me out of a lot of trouble. Only the first half of it rhymes, so it's only half true. <laughs> the whole thing rhymed. I'd be yeah, right there yeah, with you, but yeah. you know. So, so would you say that this is indicative of Pentecostalism as a whole, or just unique to the the form of Pentecostalism that you? Follow? I would say it's to the majority. Okay. Okay. To the majority of Pentecostal. 
Uh, I've so been in I it went, all my life. So. so if I went to another Pentecostal church, I should expect the same type of emphasis on healings and, and things like that. You would. Okay. Okay. You would. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and we're taught to pray for health and healing, mm -hmm. and then we leave the outcome in God's hands. So, uh, Pentecostal followers emphasize the work of the Holy Spirit and obviously our main issue that some take with us and some believe with us is that the Holy Spirit plays a big role in our lives, which every denomination probably believes that, I would assume. But ours goes to the point of the baptism of the Holy Spirit as evidenced in Acts chapter 2. I'll come back to that later, okay? Um, but that speaking in tongues during a, a public worship is one of the things that kind of sets us apart. Now, it doesn't happen all the time. It's, a, it's, it's guided, guided by God and the, through the Holy Spirit for the use in the church. And so having that ability to speak in tongues is, is regarded as a sign of the baptism. Of the, you know, our main emphasis is baptism of the Holy Spirit evidenced in speaking in other tongues. What if it did happen in every service? Would that be problematic? It would not be problematic. Okay. Is it because Paul deals with that issue. Okay. He says by at most two and sometimes three. That's my addition mm -hmm. to his words. Okay. So I'm I don't take that as uh, you know, that's kind of like a, a situation where I'm not trying to add to the word of God, but that's basically what he says. He says by two and if not by three, and that's it. So we have uh, occasionally this movement of the spirit where there is a message in tongues and then there's interpretation which are gifts of the spirit mm -hmm. okay i wasn't ready to get into this yet oh okay but no, we'll I'm come sorry. yeah we'll, we'll we, come we'll back, come to, back that. to it okay. okay we'll definitely come back i to was that. just i was just kind of getting um i was just trying to ferret out more the the frequency if if it were if it happened more frequently like every service you had somebody speaking in tongues if that was problematic if if or if you think that the the way that it should happen is uh, whenever the spirit moves as he moves and not by obligation of us right. getting together. Right. No, it's a, it's it's obviously a gift. Mm -hmm. So when you're using your gift, you're only going to use your gift whenever you're prompted by the Holy Spirit to use it. So there are there could be three or four weeks where there's nothing like that. Mm -hmm. And then it could be two or three weeks in a row where there is something like okay. that. Just recently um, in a service, I, I prophesied. And usually and generally, when there's a prophecy that comes forth, it is right down the Word of God. So for Reformed theology, they would probably say that you were quoting God's Word, and that is prophecy, okay? However, um, there are times when it's directed at something, some way, somehow, there's different perspectives to it. Um, and how that happens in me is that's that's the one gift that I that I operate in. I don't I do speak in tongues on my private times, mm -hmm. but I don't do it in the church. Mm -hmm. I don't. Well, let me just say this: I do it in the church, but not publicly. Okay, it's before God. All okay, right. would you say that you have the gift of preaching? Um, or the I'm, obligation of preaching. <laughs> I am called to preach, but that is not an obligation. Okay. 
That is a that is I'm I'm fifth generation preacher. Now you could call that an obligation if you want, but it's not because I've been called. Our family has been called, yeah. and I received the calling at 16 years old. I, the interesting thing about it was I did that thing, you know, where you say, okay, God, if you're calling me into the ministry, you flip the Bible open, and wherever it falls, you read. Well, the first one I read was 1 Timothy 1.12. I thank God for placing me in the ministry, and I went, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Here, here we go, you know. What, however you think about that, yeah. that said something huge to me, okay? And so I began to, to, to prepare myself. And then the calling came more and more and more. Yeah. So. so I didn't mean to get us off on a rabbit trail. That's okay. That's no, our, no problem. Back, back to the, the, the historical Okay, so the, the his, uh, Pentecostals encourage and assist others to hear and respond to the gospel. That's something that I, that I, I pulled off and I wanted to make sure that I got across today. We... we we want you to respond to the full gospel of God. Obviously, I'm going to give you the 16 things that I believe in the end that obviously separate us. Okay. But um, uh, Scripture tells us, and I already quoted it, for grace you've been saved through faith, and that's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, right? Mm -hmm. It's a gift. And, and not because we work at it, but... Because it's a gift of God so that I can't say, well, look what I did. God saved me because Jesus saved me because I did this. No. No. And so that's a very big thing. And then um, Pentecostals believe people can fall from grace because of sin, which is the Arminian thought as compared to the Calvin thought, which is, well, you never really were. Or if you fall from grace, you weren't part of the election, okay? And so um, I have developed my own thinking on that. Are you allowed to do that? I, uh, <laughs> because we're non-denominational, yeah, yeah. I can develop my own okay. thinking, my own uh belief system did you want to share that now or do you want to wait until uh, i will share you? that with you later when okay, i get yeah. to the 16 yeah yeah, okay. yeah yeah all right so um you know i believe well my, well let's do it because i wrote it down here okay i sure. believe yeah. that a uh that when you make a commitment to christ that's to follow that commitment to the end of your life mm -hmm. so for me to fall away from that commitment is basically slapping Jesus in the face for the grace that he shared with me. That's that's my belief. So now you now you understand how I pursue the relationship that I have with him. Mm -hmm. It's a constant pursuing. It's yeah. not it's not even worrying about whether I fall away or not. I'm constantly pursuing. And I okay. think when you keep that in view so um, just to clarify, how is that different from um, like the Armenian, one of the Armenian positions that would say that you can fall from it through sin, through backsliding or something like that? Well, I think that if you really commit, that, that's what the separation. If you really commit to Christ, mm -hmm. I would say that the one in the Armenian thought, I would say that the one who falls away you're really pinning me on the spot here because I kind of lead towards the Calvin part more than I do the Arminian part because I'm saying that 
Uh, I don't want to come out and directly say, well, because you fell away, you didn't really get saved. I'm going to say that you, um, you turned back from your commitment that you made to Christ. Now, if you really made a true commitment to Christ, there would have never been a turning. Okay. Okay. But I'm not going to say that you aren't saved. You understand? A little bit. <laughs> I, I, I think I think I'm following you. It just it it, it it's just, kind of like splitting of hairs. Yeah, you're 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 covering your bases. It 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 sounds like you're just a um, closet Calvinist, but you don't want to admit. No, it I'm not gonna. It, I'm not gonna go yeah, there. Yeah, um, of course you will. You're not coming out of the closet yet. <laughs> no. Um, but what's interesting is that uh, being in a Presbyterian denomination, there is a huge difference between Calvin and Calvinism. Yes. And a lot of people don't realize that. Right. Um, because. Calvinism uh, technically would have come out of, well, the TULIP acronym at least, the, would have come yeah. out of the Synod of Dort and the Westminster Confession, which solidified a lot of Calvinism, right. was uh, 1647. Right. Um, so Calvin finished his, his final version of his institutes in 1559. And then when he died, Theodore Beza took over yes. and rearranged some things, some yeah. categories. And then William Perkins exasperated that mm -hmm. Arminius responded yes. and then you had the problems with the remonstrance and there there's right. all sorts of things. So when, whenever people say, you know, Calvin or Arminian, I'm just like, well, who are you talking about? Are you talking about Arminianism or Jacob Arminius? Are you talking mm -hmm. about Calvinism or John No, we're talking Calvin? about Arminism. Yeah. It's Arminianism, like, excuse me. Yeah. And we're talking about Calvinism. Yeah. Calvinism drifted so far from the original Calvin thought. Oh yeah. 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 And Arminianism is the same thing. Yeah. When when people get involved with a man's thought process, they can take it where he never intended it for it to go. Yeah. And that's what's happened. Pentecostal is the same thing. When it started in its purest form, it started in the early church. Mm -hmm. So why don't we just go there because... Okay. But um, just real quickly, I want to say for, for the audience, um, the seminary I, meant, uh, I went to, since um, it wasn't denominationally specific, one of the things that we found out, because there were Anglicans there, there were Episcopalians sure. there, there were Lutherans there, and one of the things that everybody found out was, hey, the way our tradition started... That's not the way that they are now. Exactly. Everybody found that out. Exactly. Everybody looked at like, you know, Thomas Cramner and like his, um, you know, the uh, um, articles of the of the faith that the Anglicans hold to. There are 39 articles now. There used to be 42. Um, and, and they look at like what he did and, and the Book of Common Prayer and how it, it changed and evolved. And, and they're just like, wow, you know what? If I agree with Cramner right now, I technically disagree with the Anglican faith. And, and it's just interesting. And other people were like, yeah, if I agree with Martin Luther, I technically disagree with Lutheranism. Yes. And, and yeah, and so everything moves that way. And, um, yeah. and I, I'm glad to hear that Pentecostalism is much in the same way. Yeah. Let's, yeah, let's jump yeah. into that. Well, so. I, I would be glad. I, I'm glad to hear you say these things because I have thought these, but I have not professed them about these other. Uh, I, I, I basically leave the the I don't like the word religion I like the word relationship mm -hmm. but we can overuse that relationship yeah the theology pit is a partner funded ministry please consider partnering with us by making a donation at the theologypit.com 
Just scroll to the bottom of the page, hit the donate button, and make a contribution to the best Theology Pit podcast on the internet. Now let's get back to the show. So I'm going to say the religious thought process of these men that brought us Mm -hmm. these different uh, forms of worship. Yeah. Basically, that's what they are, different forms of worship. They brought it to us, and they brought it in the purest form, but over the course of time, it was reduced or expanded upon. And so now you got all the separations of different kinds of first Presbyterian, second Presbyterian. You know, you you know, I'm only saying Presbyterian because that's where you're at. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) And and we're part of the ECO, which is um, the only Presbyterian church that exists. All the other ones are wrong. I'm just saying it. (laughs) You know what? I would agree with you. But um, uh, no, I mean, it's just it's interesting when you see the divides. And I don't have a problem using the word religion. I understand that people look at it different ways. But if you look at it as, you know, the system of worship and the form of government within sanctification, I think that that helps people to it um, does to to understand where it goes. Because if you say religion under the sense of justification, that's where people be like, no, what you do is not what gains your justification. What you do is what aids in your sanctification. And so okay. I would so in using the word religion, I would I would be very specific with what I mean yeah. by it. But, okay. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, my my form of worship with um God creator God, Elohim, mm-hmm. you know, I I use those terms sometimes when I pray. I use those specific terms mm-hmm. because even the Jews wouldn't call him by his most precious name. Mm-hmm. And so I use those terms, Adonai, you know, um, I use those terms because I understand the importance of making him first in everything. It's interesting. Okay. And so um, now when I pray to the, to the regular people mm-hmm. in the congregation, uh, I have preached a number of times about the names of God. Yeah, yeah. But to use those kind of throws people off. So do you, um, just to move it into, uh, just to you know, put your put the thumb screws down just a little bit. Yeah. Do you do the same thing with Jesus? Do you say Yeshua Hamashiach or Jesus Christus? No, I don't. Well, why not? Uh, that's that's an interesting question. Simply because of. Um, New Testament idea of him relates to me. It relates to me, mm-hmm. and how he relates to me, I relate to the people. Mm-hmm. And so, as he's my he's my brother. Mm-hmm. He's, I mean, not physical brother, obviously. He's my brother. Yeah. Okay, but he's also Lord. He's a, those are the things that I would say about him. I would say Jesus Christ, I would say Lord, I would mm-hmm. say Savior. Those are the things, New Testament-wise, that I would pray. I'm just asking why you would specifically use like a 5th century proto-dramatic syllabification for our Lord <laughs> rather than the, the, the biblical form, but yet you, for the, the name of God as a whole, you do go back to the biblical you know, form. I do, I do simply because of this, um, Samson. I do it because... Um, God can be interpreted any way. Mm-hmm. Little G, big G. Uh, we use it in terms of slander and all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. 
you know. So when I want to speak to him specifically and not as just God, mm-hmm. I use those terms. Well, I mean, because you said you use um, yeah, Elohim, which yeah. is the name of God used specifically in relation to creation. Yes. And you could use uh, Yahweh, which is specifically in God being uh, the deliverer, the you will know me by what I am about to do, which is literally yes. what that translates to. So yes. in using in using that term, I will be what I will yeah, be. Yahshua, God saves. Yes. Yeshua is Jesus. God saves. Yes. So by using it, you're actually confessing. That well, God thank you saves. for pinning me down. And on just that. I, I just <laughs> I just wanted to say. I just want to say that's it's interesting that you because I don't I don't find anything wrong with that I think that's a great practice I really do I think because um, I've I've given um, sermons before in showing the relationship between John one and Genesis one and taking it back and going through those names and titles and explaining to people it's hard for us in America because our names don't mean anything I mean technically if we get to it my name Shimshon which is uh, Samson is the son of the sun. Meaning the orb, meaning the sky god, the sun. It's literally a pagan name <laughs> yes. that that has been used. It, that doesn't mean anything to us, you know. Yeah. We don't we don't name our children, you know, things that have meaning. We just oh, this is a family name, or we just like that. But within scripture, the names are very important, and they have meaning. And it's great to hear that within your congregation, you're you're bringing out that meaning because God is not just some thing. God is a relational aspect. If you think about all the names of God, it's always action within history, yes. within relationship. Yes. It's not just, oh, that God over there. Right. It's No, I mean, how, how in the New Testament is, is he described? The God who raised Jesus from the dead. The God who brought the Israelites out of Egypt. There's always a historical reality relational aspect right. to his name. Right. And the, it's interesting because you said we don't normally name our children like that but my oldest son his name is Jedediah Aaron which means beloved of Jehovah and eloquent of speech mm-hmm. so he has been named with a determination Jedediah is in the Bible yeah and so is Aaron oh yeah I and just, they have they have their meanings I just meant in our culture I understood yeah, that our, our culture I understood that yeah. I just I just um, had this I don't want to call it epiphany but mm-hmm. I had this thing in my head that that um, our first born would be named Jedediah if he was a boy mm-hmm. and he was so we named him Jedediah Aaron because to be honest with you I'm a lover of the Old Testament but I preach mostly out of the New Testament yeah yeah okay so anyway yeah. let but, me or that or you, you maybe he's going to be Amish someday maybe I don't know <laughs> if you're setting him up <laughs> no I think at 40 he's been married for a while I think he's probably not going to be Amish but okay continue please but our history and development of the Pentecostal movement comes out of the Acts chapter 2 okay um First of all, uh, Acts 1.8, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Okay, Acts 1.8. So there's power when the Holy Spirit comes. Mm-hmm. Okay? And, but the power is related to the witness, whether it be way out there, abroad, whether it be within Bridgewater, whether it be in Beaver, whether it be in the state. Okay? So... Uh, that's our understanding of the power that comes to be witnesses. But then there's other roles that the Holy Spirit takes in our life. So uh, I will share those here in a minute. And, of course, our Acts 2-4 is, you know, on the day of Pentecost. You know, our, our audience is familiar. Yeah, so I'm not going to go through that whole thing. But the first Christian church was an early church, 
right? Their founding was based on we believe in what Jesus did, okay? And so they built the early church, Peter, and stood up and said, listen, this is what Jesus did. He told us in, in Joel that this was going to happen. There was going to be an outpouring. We were here. It happened. Now let's move forward, okay? And so they started the, the early church. There were shortcomings, Right, because in Acts chapter what is it six, we find out that they were they weren't devoting their time to certain things. Okay, and so there's sounds kind of like the current day. Yeah, I, I've I've, I've said to people because um, people have said to me, yeah, you know, the church just needs to be united as one. I said, yeah, like it was right at the beginning, and then a half hour later. I mean, people exactly. are people. The effect of the fall is real. It, like it's exactly. one of the, sin yeah. is one thing you you don't have to prove to people. Because it exists. Yeah. Yep. And so um, throughout the, the Spirit-filled church, let's say they were the Spirit-filled church, mm-hmm. uh, obviously happening in those that were there and moving out. But I would rather use the term Spirit of uh, full gospel than Pentecostal, simply because of the uh, uh, religious nature of the name. When people hear Pentecostal, they go... <gasps> Well, they may think, um, you, you know, the weird things happen. Well, the Vineyard Movement, um, you know, the Toronto Vineyard Movement, they may think like all of the sensational things that get the most press that are the most bizarre. And they say, oh, that's Pentecostalism. Like, um, you know, for example, you have within the, the Roman church with um, you know, the molestation cases and stuff like that. Yeah. You tell someone you're clergy, oh, well, I guess you're one of those people that just molest kids. And so, I mean, it, it doesn't even matter. We have no affiliation with it. No. It's it's that that got the press. That's the stigma of the title. Right. So so you're trying to use the word full gospel to, to get away from the stigma of the, yeah. the Pentecostal name. Yeah, um, because those kind of things don't happen, but we've matured. When we were growing... Mm-hmm. When we were growing up in the Lord, it's just like babies. Babies kind of get a little bit out of control, right? You bring them in. As you mature on the Word, especially through Paul's teachings, his prison epistles, mm-hmm. you you grow and you find out that, you know, occasionally those things happen, but they don't have to happen in a, in a mature church. That doesn't mean you take and and tell the Holy Spirit, you know, go ahead and have a seat on the back row now because we're mature and we don't need you. No, he still is up front in the center of what happens. Yeah. So I call him Holy Spirit. I don't usually say the Holy Spirit. I usually say Holy Spirit because he's as much God as God is and he's the three of them are all the same. And so we invite God to come in and Holy Spirit does his work in the church. Okay, so... This is the this is the history, okay. Now Peter uh, at the home of Cornelius, chapter ten. You know what happened there? They all were filled, and people went, <gasps> "How can Gentiles be?" Okay, and so that was a reaction. But also there are indications that spirit baptism, evidenced in speaking in other tongues, was found in the Waldenses in the fifteenth century. It was also found in uh, the uh, Huguenots mm-hmm. of the 15th century, uh, they are all offshoots of one or another 
the yeah, Waldenses let's from not, the Roman let's Catholic. Try not to bring Church. the French into this. All right, let's just <laughs> <laughs> the Roman the Roman Catholic Church had their you know the ones that well, left. There, there are presently um, charismatic Roman Catholics. Yes, there are. I mean, there and we have them in our church. Yeah, and that's that's what they come what, and visit us. Yeah, that's what messed my wife up. She was like, "What if?" It, well, she's like, "If Roman Catholics can be can be charismatic and speak in tongues, then nothing means anything anymore." <laughs> <laughs> so, I was like, "Well, it's God's family is broad." And, yes, and, it is. Know, just, it is. And Martin Luther, when he nailed his thesis, you know, and then the Waldenses found out, hey, we're not really that far off. Thank you for listening to The Theology Pit. Please take a moment to rate our podcast and leave a comment about what you like or what you don't like. Each rating and comment helps others discover this show. Don't forget to visit us at thetheologypit.com to make a donation. While on the website, we would appreciate it if you would share these podcasts with your friends and family on social media. Our Facebook page is also titled The Theology Pit. Stop over and give us a like. If you have any questions or topics you would like to hear discussed on the podcast, please write to samson at thetheologypit.com. That's samson, spelled S-A-M-S-O-N, at thetheologypit.com. Now, here's a preview of next week's show. Because some people would say, well, the Pentecostal church, it started in 1908 at the Azusa Street Revival. That's the beginning of it. That's what they want to say, but that's yeah. not the truth. I know. And, <laughs> and, and you could say, well, maybe the title that God adhered started there. That would be the truth. But the, the reality that the title encompasses, that that goes much deeper. Yes. Yeah, ex- exactly. And you, and you have very concisely eliminated a good portion of what I was going to share. But that's okay (laughs) because you said it. This and more on the next Theology Pit. Pit.